I get to introduce this morning a, a friend that I admire as much as anybody I know in ministry. I, I met Larry Klein in 1981 when I was the youth minister uh, here at Landmark, and he was the campus minister at Troy University. And uh, we started taking classes together at what was called Alabama Christian School of Religion. Uh, we made it through. We actually even passed Greek, even though that was a miracle. But uh, just came to love Larry so much. And the, the very things I loved about him in 1981 were the things I noticed this week in our men's retreat. Here's a man that loves Scripture. He loves Jesus. He's passionate. He's full of life. You know, you, you're just going to feel that. And many of you know Larry from lots of different places. He grew up in the Liberty Congregation in South Montgomery County, which has a great legacy, including a great legacy here in this church. So many people have come from, from there and from the spiritual upbringing there. Some of you might even have gone to high school with Larry when he went to Jeff Davis years ago. He's actually a, a football star there. We played against each other when I was at Lee. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. <laughs> that was right on cue. Thank you very much. Uh, but, but Larry actually, um, that was funny. I, 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 I agree with that. Larry actually uh, got a scholarship to the University of Florida where he played down there and, and then went into ministry. Uh, like I mentioned, did campus ministry in Troy, did ministry in Birmingham, Daytona, Florida, and now he's in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, where he works at the Hardin uh, Valley Church of Christ. And, and, and we're blessed by that church. Um, Wes Coring, our connections minister, grew up there. Uh, his family's here. They get to hear Larry every Sunday. And uh, also our, our newest member of our staff, Katie Wilson, who works in our youth ministry, also comes from that church. So, so we're really blessed. And you're going to be blessed this morning to hear from Larry. Whether you've ever met him or not, you're going to pick up really quickly on a guy that's convicted. And one thing I really love about Larry is he's very bold. And uh, let me tell you how bold he was. This man hung the phone up on Bear Bryant. I can't believe we're still friends. I mean, he was being recruited by the bear, and Bear called him. And Larry had a friend that had been calling him periodically trying to imitate the bear. And so he thought it was his friend making fun of him. He said, this isn't Bear Bryant. Click. And it was over. Some of you are proud that he did that, right? And then um, he must have been really good because Bryant called the next, next night. So here's a bold man with a great testimony and great things to share with us about Jesus Christ. So would you give Larry a big hand and welcome him to Landmark today? Good morning, Landmark Church. It is great to be with you, and I enjoyed so much being with your, your guys this weekend in retreat. That was incredibly encouraging and just so good for me. Uh, I'm leaving here. Man, I'm telling you what, I, uh, I preached a sermon in the first service, of course, but I have had two sessions with y'all, with Jeremy and y'all worshiping now. <clears throat> Look out. Because I don't know, I don't know how Buddy does it and stays with his sermon for the second one, man. Because there's so much stuff that I am just full of, and I am, I am thankful, thankful, thankful for the opportunity to get to to speak. I'm glad the Corings are here. Um, love them to death. 
so many people. It's just amazing. I can't spend time doing all of this, but, man, I've met people that played on Little League ball teams with me and that grew up out in, in, in Hopal. I've seen them again. Um, all kinds of connections all over the place. Isn't it good to be a part of the family of God? I, I mean, it wasn't long ago that my wife and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. We went on a cruise, and we went to Alaska and um, worshiped with this wonderful little church in Alaska and walked in. And I'm telling you, we walked out of there just amazed because we walked in not knowing anybody, didn't, didn't recognize a face, walked out of there knowing we had just been with family. Hmm. Wasn't long ago that I was in South Africa in Toyondo. In Toyondo, everything that is said basically to me has to be interpreted because there are two different dialects that they have there. But I'm telling you, I felt as warm as accepted as a part. I mean, that was my family by the time I left there. They are an amazing fellowship. And my son did mission work, my son and his wife, for a couple of years in China in Changsha. And um, we would go over there and meet with them. And it doesn't matter where you are, does it? Because of the blood of Jesus, because of the one we hold up today, I mean, we are family. And it is so, so good. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that you are um, either a part of this family or thinking about being a part of this family. And I pray blessings on you as you walk with God. Today we're going to talk about imagining the difference that God would make if you could really see him clearly. Sights everything, isn't it? I mean, as far and I'm not talking about in your in your discussion guide for your lesson tonight. It'll talk about a quote from Helen Keller. She was asked one time, "Is there anything worse than being born blind?" And she said, "Oh, absolutely. Having sight and having no vision." I, I grew up that way to a certain extent in some areas, and you probably did too. I still fight it in my life. I grew up with a mother that was incredible, a parents that were incredible. You know what my mother had the gall to do? You know what she had the gall to do? Every morning she would get up, and before I went to school, and she would scramble eggs, and she would fix grits, and she would cook bacon, and she would put it in front of me, and she would expect me to eat it. I know, I know, abuse. <laughs> I mean, really, it did get to the point where I would go, Mom, I'm so sick of that. I don't want to eat that. And she'd make me eat my breakfast every day. And now my sight is a little different. You know, as I look back on those days, that I know how much my, love, my mom loved me. There were times when I was disrespectful to her, you know? There were times when I had to fight that and disrespectful to my dad. It didn't take long before my vision changed and before I saw them completely differently. Oh, you know the difference that sight can make walking down a pond dam not long ago with some grandkids, walking down and fishing, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it's a beautiful day. The lake is great. We're catching fish. I'm with my grandkids, and how could it get better than that? I mean, this is just tremendous. And walking at about one step away, man, you see all of a sudden there's a water moccasin that is coiled up right there. Doesn't really realize that I'm there, but he doesn't have to. I mean, every hair on my head, you know, on the back of my neck stands up. And, and it changes everything about what's going on with that situation. A time not long ago, well, a number of years ago now, but walking around a pool, had some my kids out there. They were having a blast. I mean, it was a great day, right? Great day. 
we had one that was young that was kind of a toddler and and couldn't really swim and um there were there were all kind of things on the bottom of the pool that they'd been diving for and everything i was out there and i had my phone with me i had my watch on i wouldn't i wouldn't dress to go in the water at all wouldn't have gone in the water. hey larry jump in the water it's fun no i wouldn't do that no i wouldn't do that all of a sudden everything changed because i looked around and the toddler was gone and you look and there he is at the bottom of the pool i mean with everything changes right boom i'm in the water don't care about a phone don't care about a watch don't care about getting these clothes these shoes wet i mean it changes everything the way you see things changes everything the way you see god makes all the difference in the world and what just happened here in this place with what it did to your heart, with what you were giving as you were singing those songs. Were you singing songs that you just sung over and over? Were you enjoying the melodies? Or were you heart to heart, face to face, on your knees before God Almighty? Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, a vision that I believe he had. You might disagree with me, but as I read that, I see Paul talk about being caught up. He said, 14 years ago, I, was, I know a man that had a vision, and he got to see things that were unspeakable. I mean, they couldn't, it's not allowed for a man to say what it is that I believe he saw. He was caught up to the third heaven, he says. That's not the place where we walk out today and look up and there are the clouds. That's the first heaven in the Jewish mindset. Second, mind, second heaven was we walk out at night, and you see the planets, and you see the stars, but the third third place now the third place was the dwelling place of God and he says I was caught up to that third heaven and I got to see God difference that it made in his life Philippians chapter 1 he's writing to this church that he loves and he gets down to a point in, in chapter 1 there, and he says, i got a problem. i got a real problem that I want to share with you. I have a dilemma. You see, because I know that it would be good for me to stay and to minister to you. That is a good thing, and that's what God wants. But he said, it grieves me. It grieves me. I'm in a, I'm in a straight betwixt the two, one version will say. I, I'm really in, 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 a, in a hard spot because what I really want to do is I want to go and be with Christ. Because for me to live is Christ, to die his gain, because he saw clearly that Jesus whom he served. It's amazing what seeing Jesus will do. Wouldn't it change your day if every morning when you got up, you got to get up and see Jesus the way Paul did, the way the apostles did? Wouldn't it be great? And the truth of the matter is that we're given the ability to do that. And that's what I want to encourage you in today. I want us to lift Jesus up. But I want, to, I want you to understand that every day you get an opportunity to get up in the morning and to go in through the lens of Scripture. And that's what we're looking through today, through the lens of Scripture, to look over the shoulder of Jesus as he stands with a woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery. She's been caught in the act of a sin. You ever been there? Shake your head this way. You ever been there? You ever been caught in the very act and you're condemned, you know it, you're undone, and, and you get to stand there and watch this incredible God in human form as he writes in the sand. As, and then from the least to the greatest, these guys who are condemning, these guys who are wanting her stoned, they, they leave, and then you get to hear him say to her, where are your accusers? And you get to hear back, they're not here, Lord. And God Almighty, in the midst of her sin and nakedness, and vulnerability and humility. He says, I don't condemn you either. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and sin no more. You get to be in a boat. 
through the lens of Scripture, you get to turn over and you get to be in a boat that is rocking, and I mean the sprays in your face, and you see the panic of hardened sailors as they're on the boat. They've been in, they've been in the water before, and they're terrified. They know exactly what's going on. They're about to lose their life, and they cry out to Jesus, and you see, you get to see your God stand up and go, peace, be still, and all of a sudden the raging storm becomes like glass. And you're on your knees before you start your day. As you start your day, you're on your knees with them as they go, Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Oh, to start every day with that in your heart, with that in your mind, asking the question as you leave, Man, who is this man that I get to serve I get to see him more clearly every day as he crosses my path with opportunities to serve him. But today, let's get in the Word and let's glorify him. And let's see him more clearly. Let's imagine what it would be like to see him every day. Guys, you're going to have to advance for me. We had it worked out. Here through the lens of Scripture, okay? Through the lens of Scripture... Um, I, here's what, we're going to look at different things today. Through the lens of Scripture, here's, here's a thought that hit me not long ago. I, we get to see Jesus before he was Jesus, and he is amazing. Well, you understand, don't you, that there was a time, right? We just celebrated the birth of Jesus, the story of God sending his son to come into the, into the world. And in Bethlehem, in a manger, there was this virgin girl who had a baby that was God Almighty, that was the one who spoke and everything came into existence. And she held him in her arms and she swaddled him in cloths and she laid him in that manger and she burped him and fed him and changed his diaper and It wasn't always that way. You see, as you look at Scripture, you get to see Jesus before he was Jesus, and he is amazing. John talks about it in John chapter 1, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? At the beginning of time, before anything had been created. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was called the Word, and he was the agent in creation. He spoke, and it came into being. Things that did not exist before all of a sudden existed just by the power of his words. He is amazing. You go through time, and you get to, um, in the book of Daniel, remember, there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's Nebuchadnezzar, who's thrown him in the fiery furnace, and it should have just disintegrated him. I mean, the people that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they even died because the fire was so hot. And Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he is amazed. He's blown away at what God has done through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he goes, whoa, wait a minute. Who is that in there? It's one that looks like a son of God. All through Scripture, you have what's designated as the angel. Not an angel, but the angel, right? Joshua chapter 1, chapter, uh, as you read into chapter 5, you've got Joshua about to lead the children of Israel against Jericho. And he's wondering, these people that have no ability to fight whatsoever, I mean, they're not equipped, they're not trained, they're not warriors. What in the world? How are we going to do this? And he goes off by himself and he comes across this being and he falls on his face in front of this one and worships him. And the, the, the being designates himself as the commander of the host of the army of God. 
And an angel, an angel would have never allowed one to worship. Go to Revelation chapter 19 and you'll see John, as he bows before an angel, and the angel goes, no, 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 don't do that. Stand up. I'm created being just like you, but not in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, my belief is you see Jesus before he was Jesus, and he is the captain of the host of the army of God, and he would fight battles for the children of Israel in mighty, mighty ways, and he'll fight battles for his children today, and we know him as King Jesus. Amen? I mean, all through Scripture, you see Jesus before he was Jesus, and he is amazing. And then he comes into Bethlehem in swaddling clothes, and he goes to the temple at 12, and he gets about his father's business, and we get to see him, and, and we get to see him being recognized by the people around him and, and him changing the world. I mean, he is a culture changer. He changes everything. He changes the way that everybody looked at the individual. Up until the time that Jesus came, the individual really didn't matter. But all of a sudden, after Jesus comes, listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you've got your Bible, look at verse 14. But it says, for Christ's love compels us. Listen closely if you're not able to, to go in Scripture. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. It wasn't just up to whether you were productive or not. That is all that mattered before the time of Jesus. Your value had to do with what you could produce. If you were infirmed in some way and couldn't produce, you needed to be extinguished. You needed to be done away with. You were of no value at all. Lepers, put them off. Get them away. Get them away from us. Anybody that could not perform. But it says here that Christ died for all. Therefore, all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We've taught it to our babies, right? Since they were toddlers. For God so loved the world, the world, the world, the black world, the white world, the red world, the whatever color world, every socioeconomic class, every culture, God loves them. And I love this church in the way that you love the people that God loves. But it is amazing. We've got to get back to understanding that's all because of Jesus. It's not because of humanism. It's because of Jesus that the individual was exalted. But it wasn't just the individual, it was women. Women weren't thought of, they were thought of as property. They were like any other animal. They were like cattle. They were like donkeys. They were like slaves. And you used them until they were not usable anymore. And then you discarded them back in the culture that was around Jesus. But what did Jesus say? You remember that Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, now that Jesus is here, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. It wasn't just a doctrine that was espoused. It was the way Jesus lived, wasn't it? And some of his closest friends, that whenever he had opportunity, he would stop by Bethany because Lazarus was there. And it wasn't just Lazarus. Some of his closest friends were Mary and Martha. That he had women that supported his ministry that he counted on greatly, that loved him, and that gave money to support him. You go on and on and on, and you look, and Jesus raised the value of women. He raised the value of children. Children in the day of Jesus, in Roman culture, and in Greek culture, if you had a child that you didn't want, 
In fact, they didn't have rights at all until they were age 12. You could get rid of them, you could kill them, you could execute them. It didn't matter until they were age 12, and then you adopted them if you wanted them. If you, when you had them, you didn't want them, in Rome you would take them and you would lay them at the edge of the fountain, and if anybody wanted them, they would come and get them, and if not, they would just die from exposure. If one was deformed, it was drowned. That's why there was little deformity in Roman culture and and in Greek culture because they took care of that at birth. But you think about Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, you read people bringing, about people bringing little children to Jesus. And it's interesting. With disdain, he says, Scripture says, I mean, he was indignant about it. Because here they're bringing the little children to him, wanting him to bless them. And the disciples, the ones that should know him the most, say, no, 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 get the little children away. He doesn't need the little children. The little children are a bother. Get them away. And Jesus goes, what are you talking about? And he is indignant. He says, let the little children come to me. And he takes them and he holds them and he blesses them. Why does he do that? Because everybody matters. Because Jesus died for everybody, old and young and black and white and rich and poor, is at the center of our God's heart. But it wasn't just with children. It also had to do with compassion. It had to do with compassion. He changed the way that everybody thought about compassion. <laughs> um, the church was to be the hospice for the world. Compassion was seen as a weakness. When you respond to other people's needs, it takes away from the resources that you have and causes you to be weaker. And so you don't do that. But all of a sudden, Jesus calls for his, for his followers to be the hands and the feet of God in the world. And so the church is supposed to be the hospice. They're supposed to take care of the sick. And they're supposed to take care of the aged. And they're supposed to take care of the widows and the orphans. And they're supposed to visit the prisons. And Jesus changed everything about the way people looked at compassion. He changed everything about the way people thought about forgiveness. Genghis Khan was, one, Khan was once asked, what's, your, what's the best thing in life? And he said, the best thing in life is to destroy your enemy. I mean to beat them down, to drive them out in front of you, to hear the wail of their women as they mourn for the loss of their families. That's what Genghis Khan said. That was his favorite thing. What did Jesus say? As he hung on the cross, King Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Forgive your enemy. Do good to those that persecute you. If you don't forgive others, then you can't be forgiven. I mean, he changed everything. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it awesome? how he changed culture, how he changed everything. So the lens of Scripture, I get to see Jesus before he was Jesus, and and he was amazing. I get to see Jesus as he walked the earth, and he was the world changer. But let me ask you right now, how do you think about Jesus? 
Because let me just, we're going to deal with this a good bit from now to the end of the lesson, but I want to remind you about what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 16. As he comes to his disciples, now they've seen a whole lot of stuff, and they've heard a whole lot about what Jesus, uh, what people have said about Jesus. And so Jesus comes to them, and this is very familiar, I know, to you. But he says, who do people say that I am? And they give him the political answers, right? I mean, think about it. They know what people have been saying. They've been saying that Jesus is a blasphemer. Jesus claims to be God, and he's not. He's a liar. That's what he is. There's no way that he is Yahweh. There's no way that he is a son of God. But the disciples say, oh, some say that you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the prophets. And he's, he cuts through all of that, and he says, all right, I, I got you. But there's one thing that I want you to think about. Can I just tell you that the one thing I know for sure that Jesus would want me to do today is to bring this question down from him to you, my heart. He wants to know, what do you say about him? I'm not asking, did you sing a song today that said, oh, how I love Jesus. He's wanting to know in your heart of hearts, as you live your life, as you plan on living your life this next week, what do you think about Jesus because what you think and how you see him has everything to do with the way you will live with who will be on the throne of your heart with what you will sacrifice for it'll have everything to do with every decision that you make what do you think about Jesus I want you to listen for just a minute okay and go through with me here what some other people thought about Jesus you know, maybe that's going against what I just said, but I, d- I do want you to hear the testimony of other people. And we're going to start by looking at the enemies of Jesus and what they had to say about him, okay? Because i tell you one thing that I don't want. I don't want my enemies giving testimony to you about me. Uh, that would not be a very good thing. But listen to the testimony that they give about Jesus. First, it's the Pharisees, okay? Listen to what the Pharisees had to say about him. You can go and interview them. Pharisees, you, you had run-ins with Jesus over and over and over again. What do, you, what do you say about him? And they would say, this man eats with sinners, right? Luke chapter 15, that was their problem with him. You know what's wrong with that guy? I cannot believe him. He claims to be somebody. He claims to be God's representative on earth. And you know what he does? He eats with sinners. And you know what the church says about that? You know what I say about that in my life? Praise God all almighty that God will eat with sinners that God will send his son to come down and develop a relationship with people who desperately need him and can't see him thank God that that's the testimony of the Pharisees and then on the cross as he's hanging there the Pharisees testimony is you know what he saved others in quotation marks but he can't even save himself and again the church goes praise God almighty that he wasn't willing to come down off of that tree we understand that he could have done that anytime that he wanted to that he could have called he could have said the word and legions of angels would have been there to fight his battles for him he wouldn't have had to suffer and died at all but it was submission to his father and his love for us that caused him to go there so praise god that that is their condemnation he saved others quotation marks but he cannot save himself and he couldn't because he loved you so much then we listen to caiaphas caiaphas you really were his enemy. You brought him before you in trial. What do you have to say about him? 
And Caiaphas said, I'll tell you what I'll say. I asked him, are you the son of God? Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? I adjured him, which meant that if he didn't answer, it was as much as an admission of guilt. And he said, and I'll tell you what he said. He said, it is as you say, and you will see the son of man one day coming in the clouds of glory. That he'll be coming in glory, returning to reign. Thank you, Caiaphas, for your testimony. Pilate, he said before you in trial, what do you have to say about him? And Pilate would say, I could find no fault in this man. I could find no fault. As much as I looked, as much as I questioned, I could find no fault in this man. And my wife came to me and said, don't have anything to do with this guy. He is an innocent, innocent man. Thank you, Pilate. Judas, you betrayed him. You end up being his enemy, even though you lived with him for three years. Judas, what do you have to say? And Judas would say, I have betrayed innocent blood with tears in his eyes. And he goes out in a hopeless state and hangs himself. Centurion, can we ask you a question? You've been at crucifixion after crucifixion after crucifixion. Was this one any different? What would you have to say about that man that they put, and they put that sign up there that said, King of the Jews, that man, what would you have to say about him? He said, I've seen, I've seen thousands be crucified. I've watched them die. I've listened to what they say. I've listened to the curses that they've offered. And his testimony back in reply was, truly, this man was the Son of God. That's what his enemy said. That was their testimony. Thief, as you hung on the cross by him, what do you have to say as you began mocking him to begin with? What do you have? What's your testimony about him? He said, I hung on the cross with him and I watched the way he died. And finally, I figured out this guy's different. This guy is way different. So I asked him, Remember me. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And you know what he said to me? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Isn't it incredible? That all of his enemies, when you ask him, testify about this man. What do you believe about this man that you were his enemy? Every one of them backs up the claims of Jesus. Praise God Almighty. That is amazing that all you have to do is listen to his enemies and you fall on your knees before him and you say, my Lord and my God. But then you go to his friends and you ask them, what do you think of Jesus? And you begin to get their testimonies. Thomas You were doubting Thomas. Thomas, you wouldn't believe that he had been raised from the dead. What do you believe about Jesus? And he said, I finally saw him, and I put my hands in in the holes where the nails were in his wrist, and I felt the, the place where they had put the spear into his side, and I realized that it was my Jesus. And I fell on my knees, and I cried, my Lord and my God. You go to Kyle, you go to, you go to Saul, Saul, you persecuted him. Saul, you became the apostle Paul. What do you have to say about Jesus? And and Paul would say this, Saul would say this. On the road to Damascus, I met him. I was blinded. I asked him, what do you want me to do, Lord? And from that day forward, I followed his instructions. And I will tell you this, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's a testimony of Saul You ask the angels, what do you think about Jesus? And the angels who saw him leave heaven, they say, behold, there's born unto you in this day, uh, in in this city, this day, in 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 the city of Bethlehem, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You ask his Father, Father God, what do you think of your Son? What's your testimony? 
And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You ask Peter, Peter, what do you believe about Jesus? And Peter will tell you this. He'll say, he is still the Christ, the son of the living God. And you can go on and on and on with the friends of Jesus asking them, what do you believe? And isn't it encouraging? I mean, it's really great, isn't it? That all of the enemies and that all of the friends said that he was the son of God in one way or another. Even thinking when they were condemning him, they're glorifying him. Even when they think that they are, that they're given the death blow to him, what they're doing is holding up the validity of who he was. I mean, Jesus is amazing. Amen, church? He is amazing. And all to catch a glimpse of him. Imagine what it would be if we could see him more clearly every day. Imagine how it would change us, how it would change the focus of our day, the way we would see those that we consider to be our enemies or a bother or... So I want to ask you, again, what do you think of Jesus? I don't want to ask you, what do you think of Jesus in this setting? I want to ask you, based on what you think of Jesus and how you see Jesus, how you're going to live differently this week. Number one, I want to ask you this. Do you think enough of Jesus to leave your sin and to follow him? I mean, do you think enough of Jesus to right now, this day, as you think about your life, Are those things that have been haunting you? Are those things that you find yourself going back to over and over and over again? They're holding over your head. Are there things you know this week that you're going to do that have been hidden in your life that you can't come here? You've worked it out or you've got that closet door shut and locked, okay? And over here is this life with the landmark church. But Jesus not only wants to be in that, he wants to be over here in this room, but you won't even let him in that room. That door's locked and you won't let him in. Will you this week, because of what you think of Jesus, because of what you see about Jesus, will you rip that lock off and will you let him in? Will you repent of your sin and will you let Jesus in? Will you go to somebody today and confess that sin to them after you confess it to the Lord? And will you get some accountability and some help to overcome that and to glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you love him enough to leave your sin and to follow him? For some of you, that means you need to be baptized into Christ. You need to commit your life to him. For others, it means you need to get rid of that secret sin in your life and let him come in and heal And glorify him through doing that. Do you love Jesus enough to give him, number two, the absolute first place in your life? Meaning, this week, you're going to let Jesus be Lord. You aren't going to live your life under the Christian banner. I am a Christian, but I make all the decisions. I decide what I want to do, and then I kind of treat God like a genie. I get over here, and what I'm doing, oh, I need some help. Hey, God, would you please come, hey, cosmic bellhop i need your help could you come over here and answer my prayer and bless me in this area or we treat him sometimes like we do our pet we're walking along and we decide we're going to go over here and um and our and our pet's not with us so hey come here boy come here boy come on let's go come on come with us come on let's come with us that's not following jesus as lord is it 
When you follow Jesus as Lord, he said, come and follow me, and I will make you fisher of men. When you follow somebody, they're out front, and you're going where they go. And that is your commitment. Do you love him enough this week to do that in every area of your life? In your family, you will follow him. You will pray with your family. You will be the worship leader in your family. You will, you will guard your family spiritually. You will be what you ought to be at work because you're following Jesus. Jesus, what would you have me to do here? In my neighborhood, I am not going to be passive. I am an instrument of God in this neighborhood. And so what is it that Jesus would have me to do? And then I'm going to follow him. I'm going to go do that. Do you think enough of Jesus to do that this week? And thirdly, do you think enough of Jesus to tell others about him? Do you think enough of Jesus to brag on Jesus? Do you think enough of Jesus not just to praise him in this place, but to praise him in your everyday life when you're around people that don't know him? Do you think enough of him to share? He died so that people could be saved. He hung on that cross and was in agony and still says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, he went through hell on earth so people wouldn't have to go through hell. And do you love him enough? Do you see him clearly enough that you're willing to share that message? If you love Jesus, if you see Jesus clearly, and you're willing to do those things for him this week, would you stand up, please, as a testimony that you will do that? You don't have to stand up. It's dark. I mean, if you don't want to stand up, if you're not ready to make that commitment, then that's, that's fine. But I want to talk to even those of you that are standing up. Okay, my son and daughter did. They were missionaries in China. We went to Tiananmen Square, and I remember those of us that are older. We remember when they were when they were demonstrating for freedom. The masses that were there. I mean, the throngs that filled Tiananmen Square, and a lot of people lost their life. But then you also remember there was that one guy, right? That video, it still brings tears to my eyes, of that one guy who walked out onto the street and there were tanks that were coming and he went and he just knew he was going to give up his life. He stood in front of the tank. The tank backs up and tries to go around and he moves over in front of that tank. Now which was harder to do, to stand with the throngs in Tiananmen Square or to be that one guy who said, I will stop this now because the tanks were going to massacre the crowd. Which was harder to do? You know it's harder to stand by yourself. The good thing is you are a part of the family of God, but you aren't, you aren't called to stay in this assembly right now. You are called to be an army of God that is unleashed on the world. You are called to do exactly what we were talking about today, to see him clearly and to love him enough to go and to confront the sin in your life, to get help with brothers and sisters, talk to people on staff here, talk to elders, but get the sin out of your life, to make sure that he is number one in your life, that you, you are going to go do that today. Make plans today. If you need to make some confessions at home, make them at home because you want to glorify Jesus because you see him so clearly. Okay, don't just be content to sit in a throng. It's easy here. But make the commitment to follow Jesus and to give him honor and glory. As the family does it, I will do it individually. I will glorify you, Jesus, in my life today. If we can help you in any way to do that, if, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, if there's things you need to confess, if you just want to come forward and say, I need somebody to walk with me, I need help, you come and let us know how we can help you while we sing.